History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 314th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're going to be looking at some locations that one doesn't normally think of when it comes to haunted places, and that's churches. And I wanted to focus on one area, and that's York. So on this episode, we're going to talk about the haunted churches of York. But before we get into that, I want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Mandy, Amy, Jennifer, Whitney, Rachel, Dally, Barb, and Jackie with a Y. And that's a lot of names that end in Y. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment Naughty was suggested by Chelsea Flowers. Gulia Tofana was better than any divorce lawyer and a prolific serial killer. Interesting combo, eh? 17th century Italy was a place of forced marriages and not a good place for a woman to get a divorce, so another solution was needed. In steps cosmetic chemist Tofana. She made makeup, and she soon found her niche. She developed a makeup called Aqua Tofana that contained lead, belladonna, and arsenic. Tofana sold her deadly concoction without detection for 50 years, killing hundreds of men. She finally was given up by one of her customers, a woman who regretted poisoning her husband's soup and stopped him from eating it. He demanded to know why, and she confessed she had poisoned it, so he had her turned over to the papal authorities. She told them she got the poison makeup from Tofana, who was arrested. The authorities tortured her until she confessed to helping poison over 600 men. She was executed, as were her employees and some of her clients as well. Others were thrown into prison. 100 years after her death, Tofana's makeup was still being talked about when Mozart fell ill and claimed, I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I am sure that I've been poisoned. Someone is giving me aqua Tofana and calculated the precise time of my death. Hiding poison in makeup was very effective, but certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of November, on the 13th in 1927, the Holland Tunnel opened to traffic. The Holland Tunnel was originally known as the Hudson River Vehicular Tunnel and was funded by the New Jersey Interstate Bridge and Tunnel Commission and the New York State Bridge and Tunnel Commission. In 1930, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey took over operations. 
The tunnel connects Canal Street in Manhattan with 12th and 14th Streets in Jersey City, New Jersey, and is named after its first chief engineer, Clifford M. Holland. He died before it was completed, and even more oddly, the second chief engineer, Milton Freeman, died before completion too. The project's third chief engineer was Ole Singstad, and he finished it. And it is he that came up with the engineering marvel of this tunnel. The air in the tunnel needed to circulate to prevent poisoning from car fumes, so he designed the tunnel to be circular with four ventilation buildings, two on each side of the Hudson River, housing 84 big fans that changed out the air every 90 seconds. This innovation made the Holland Tunnel the first mechanically ventilated underwater vehicular tunnel in the world. In 1993, the Holland Tunnel was designated a National Historic Landmark. York, England is a place full of haunted locations with a vast history stretching back centuries. There are those who claim that York is the most haunted city in the world. On this episode, I'm going to focus on the haunted churches that are found in York. remnant of Roman influence in York because the city was founded by Rome in 71 AD. The most well-known haunting in York is a story I believe I've told before about a contractor working in the treasurer's house basement and witnessing some Roman ghosts. His name was Harry Martindale, and he was checking the plumbing that they were tasked with updating. He was alone and had climbed up a ladder when he heard a trumpet. He thought perhaps he was hearing a band playing up on the street and continued his work until a ghostly horse came through the wall right near where he was working. He fell off the ladder, and who could blame him? I probably would have fallen off of it too if a ghostly horse came out of the wall near me. And he scrambled to get away. He saw a whole legion of Roman soldiers walking in formation and carrying shields, and they all came out of this wall behind the horse. He watched as these soldiers came through the room and walked all the way across to the other wall. And he noticed that he couldn't see the bottom of their legs. It was like They were walking through the floor about shin level. He takes off to tell his foreman what he has seen. A curator at the house let Harry know that he was not the first to see this site. An old Roman road was found beneath the treasurer's house, and that's why those Roman soldiers looked like they weren't actually walking up on the floor, because they were walking on the road that was beneath it. It's a really well-known ghost story, and I absolutely love it. It's just very fun. The Romans didn't call the city York, but rather... Eboracum. This was Celtic, meaning the place with yew trees. They built a fort and a stone wall around the city, and that stone wall is still there today. By the 4th century, Rome's grasp on the area was faltering, and the soldiers left in 407 AD, leaving their towns abandoned and falling into ruin. It wouldn't be until the 8th century that York would start to rebuild and grow. At this time, York was known as Jofer's Wick, which means market. And when the Danes came, they changed it to Jorvik. The Vikings made this a capital for one of their kingdoms in 866 AD. William the Conqueror captured York and he built two wooden castles here in 1069. So as you can see, it is changing hands a lot through all these different centuries. York flourished in medieval times and functioned as a port. The Middle Ages found the city run by the churches, and monks actually provided much of the care in the hospitals. 
There were several orders here ranging from the Augustinians to the Franciscans to the Dominicans to the Carmelites. These monks would be overwhelmed when the Black Death came. Nearly half of York succumbed to the disease. The plague would strike again and again throughout the 1500s and 1600s, but the city was always resilient and recovered. The Middle Ages seem to be the time that is carried over the most into the present era, especially when you look at the architecture. Henry VIII decimated the churches in York. In 1538, he closed the priories and friaries, and the parish church numbers were cut in half. And he didn't just shut down the churches, he destroyed a lot of them. Despite this, the churches made a comeback, and many still stand today and are well known. And several of them are reputedly haunted. Church. This is a place of worship, a place of peace. There's a silent reverence in a church. But sometimes a church is not a place of peace or silence, even in the wee hours of the morning. I want to start our journey through the churches here in York with the Holy Trinity Church. This is a hidden away little gem. You're not going to see it advertised a lot, probably not going to get taken there on a tour. You have to go down this little lane and it doesn't even look like you're heading towards a building. When you get to it, you will immediately notice the medieval stained glass windows. The most prominent one being a lily crucifix one. And as I describe these churches to you, you're going to hear a lot about that medieval stained glass. I don't know about you guys, but I love stained glass windows, and churches have some of the most beautiful ones. The interior of the church features several boxes that are 10 foot by 12 foot with four foot sidewalls, and then there's this elevated platform in the center of the room where the pastor can stand to give his sermons. When I heard the description of this as being a bunch of little boxes that families could rent, that kind of thing, it reminded me of a lot of the New England churches. You'll find a lot of that there, too, where they have these box pews, I guess you could say, or little boxes that a whole family could keep for generations. This church has a churchyard, and it is said to be quite haunted. And that's really where the hauntings for Holy Trinity Church are taking place is here in the graveyard. There are several ghosts that have been described here. One of these spirits is headless and thought to belong to Thomas Percy, who was the seventh Earl of Northumberland. He was beheaded by Henry VIII for an attempted overthrow in 1572. And after they beheaded him, they put his head atop a spike at York's Micklegate Bar. And this is the, I guess you could almost say like a front gate area. So as people are coming into York, they're going to see Thomas Percy's head sitting up on this spike. Apparently the spirit is looking for that head. That's what they say because the head was thought to have been stolen off that spike and buried right here in the Holy Trinity churchyard. I have no proof of that, but they see this headless ghost in the churchyard, and that's who they assume it must be. The other ghosts here are female in nature. One belongs to a medieval woman who was buried here with her husband. She said to be at unrest because the couple had lost a child to the plague, and what they used to do back then, and they did it here as well, especially with yellow fever and such, they would just bury everybody in a mass grave because you couldn't dig graves fast enough and you needed to get rid of the bodies fast. 
And what you really wanted to do, I know they did this in St. Augustine, you take the bodies outside of those gates, outside of the stone wall, that kind of thing, and bury them in the mass grave outside of the city limits. And that's what happened to this little girl. So obviously her mother is just distraught and looking for her, and that's what she's doing in the afterlife, looking for her little girl. So she roams around this churchyard alone looking for her. Obviously, if the little girl was buried in a mass grave outside the city, she's not going to find her here. There's another older spirit that's seen roaming around the churchyard alone. Many believe that she is the last abbess of a medieval convent that owned the church before the Reformation. So maybe she's at unrest and not very happy because now the church is Protestant rather than Catholic. The next church I want to look at is St. Olaf's Church, and every time I say that name, St. Olaf's, I think of Rose from the Golden Girls, my favorite Golden Girl, so great name for a church. And it was named that because it was dedicated to St. Olaf, who is the patron saint of Norway. And it was built originally in what they believe is 1055 AD. A lot of these churches were built in that era. And so I'll be saying a lot, it was originally this, but they were torn down, destroyed, rebuilt. You're going to hear that a lot as well. And this church was rebuilt in the 15th century. This seems to be the golden era of restoring the churches, rebuilding the churches, getting them more set up is this 15th century. Despite having several renovations over the centuries, it still mostly looks like it's out of the 15th century. St. Olaf's has a castle-like look to it with a taller square tower and these really cool spires on all the corners. So the square tower has these spires going up from it, and then the corners of the church have them as well. And then there's like a couple in the middle too. And it just really says to me, Norway. It's something you would kind of see on a, a stave church or something, I would think. The church really is charming, and even better, it's home to a couple of ghosts that seem to come as a pair. This pair is a woman and a young boy, and they are seen wearing black as though in mourning, sitting in the back of the church. They sit quietly, although the boy is crying while the woman comforts him. Are they replaying a scene from a funeral in the past? The two always disappear after being in view for a couple of minutes. And I always find myself asking this question when it comes to spirits. We hear over and over again that when a spirit is seen, all of a sudden it disappears. It's almost like they lose their magic or their power to show themselves once they're seen. Is it our eyes that take it away from them? How does that work? Or are they just so shocked that they've been seen that they lose whatever concentration or focus they need to manifest like they do? These are questions I would love to sit down with a ghost and ask them, but uh, I don't know that I'll ever get them to answer those specific questions. But you know what? I think I'm going to start writing these questions down so that when we're having like spirit box sessions or getting the dousing rods out that we can maybe ask a yes or no question that would go along those lines, ask in an EVP session, something, and see if we can get some answers to these questions because these are the things I really want to know. I mean, it's nice to ask them their names, but I also want to know Can you manifest? How do you manifest? Why don't all ghosts manifest? And why do you disappear after you've manifested when you're seen? Now we're going to move on to the Church of All Saints. And this isn't just one church. There are actually two churches with this name. So we're going to look at both of them right now. So we have two Church of All Saints, and one is located on North Street and the other on Pavement. 
The North Street location was built sometime in the 1340s and has a wonderful soaring spire and 15th century roof. There's that 15th century again. Several of the windows have medieval stained glass, which is said to only be overshadowed by the glass at York Minster. And we'll be talking about that a little later. These stained glass windows feature saints, the nine orders of angels, and the corporal acts of mercy. The interior features these magnificent arches, and the carved pulpit dates to 1675. There's a really cool pipe organ here as well. A lot of these churches have pipe organs, and I'm trying to describe the interior of these the best I can, but you guys probably know it is so hard to describe something that is just gorgeous to your eyes. So I'll try to grab some pictures off of the internet and put them up on Instagram and such for you guys so you can see what the inside of these places look like. At the west end of the building, an anchorite building was built in the 15th century with an opening in the wall so that Emma Rotten could observe and hear the mass being said. Emma Rotten was a British anchoress in the 15th century who apparently had regular visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's a ghost here said to be a gentle elderly specter wearing a dress from the time of World War II. She seems to be residual in nature and comes in and out of the railed garden. She doesn't interact with anybody and obviously she comes from a later period of time so it does make you wonder if she was killed during the war somewhere in this area. The location on pavement dates from the 14th century and has undergone many changes through the years. The chancel was demolished in 1780 with the east end being rebuilt at that time, but it wouldn't be until 1834 that the rest would be rebuilt. A vestry was added in 1850 and the stained glass in the east window was installed in 1887. This is the regimental church for the Royal Dragoon Guards. This is a cavalry regiment of the British Army. The spirit that haunts here is said to be a long-haired wraith. She appears to be angry and at unrest because she was not given a Christian burial. And so she usually shows up during funerals and she'll like stand around gazing at the coffin or looking at the coffin real intently. As I described the woman and young boy earlier that when they're seen, all of a sudden they disappear. There's one person who reported seeing this wraith standing looking at a coffin, and he watched her for like five minutes before she finally disappeared. So I don't know if she didn't notice him looking at her or if she just, can I ask this wraith that same question? Why were you able to manifest for so long? Now let's head over to the Church of St. Crux. Although that's going to be kind of hard because sadly, this church no longer stands, but its church hall still remains in the shambles. The church was demolished in 1887 after it was deemed unsafe, and then for some reason it was never rebuilt. A lot of these churches were destroyed or torn down or falling apart, and they were rebuilt, but this one was not. When it stood, it had an Italianate tower that Francis Drake described as a handsome new steeple of brick coined with stone. The Victorians found the tower unsightly and didn't bother to fix the cupola on top that had collapsed, and then the rest of the church just fell into ruin. The church hall features displays about the former church. One of the spirits that was seen in the church before it was destroyed belonged to a tall man who would peer out of the window. People would wave to him and he seemed to take no notice of them as though he couldn't see them. People began to believe that he was a ghost and when the verger offered to unlock the church so people could investigate, no one volunteered. There are several female spirits connected to the former church. One is seen walking from the side of the church to Spen Lane, and she is usually wearing a long, nondescript gown, so historians are unable to place her to a time period. 
Another female ghost is seen wearing a shawl and walking to Foss Bridge from the church site. Some claim these women are the same person, but they do seem to wear different dresses, and they both always vanish. There's another woman's spirit that was connected to the Waits of York. This group no longer exists, but for centuries they were basically the neighborhood watch here. They were a group of four men, the size and shape of your typical bouncer, and they walked the streets around the Church of St. Crux. They wore scarlet uniforms so they were easily seen, and they kept an eye out for criminal behavior and watched the weather, announcing in the morning what people could expect for the day. The group eventually went away because what had been high pay at one time became a pittance after inflation hit, and no one was willing to risk themselves for that. There was a female spirit that seemed to attach herself to the weights. She would appear whenever they would start to sing to pass their time on the street. She would come out of the churchyard at St. Crux. She was beautiful and wore a long gown that many believed was her actual death shroud wrapped around her. She was intelligent and would follow the weights and stop whenever they stopped. She would vanish whenever any of the weights would try to approach her. There's another one-time story shared by a policeman that happened right before the church was demolished. He was on his patrol when he heard organ music coming from the church. He knew it should be empty since it was getting ready to be destroyed. He approached the church and just before he got to the doors, they flew open with a burst of air. The policeman could see that the interior was dark and empty, and then he heard disembodied footsteps. He ran to get a colleague, and when they returned, they found the church locked and quiet. Next, we have the Church of St. Savior. St. Savior's Church is found at the end of Pisholm Green along Spen Lane and is another great example of medieval architecture with parapets encircling the top of its main tower that features a large arched stained glass window. And whenever I see a tower with those kind of parapets, it just screams to me, castle. This church was founded in the 11th century with the current church building dating to the 15th century. The vestry was added in 1878, and a little before that, the roofs were painted a light buff and highlighted with gold, crimson, and blue. The building is today used by the York Archaeological Trust. There's a gray lady at this location who is seen often wearing clothes dating to the late 18th century. The legend about her claims that she appears coming out of the church at midnight and walks along the length of the structure and waits when she gets to the end as though she's expecting someone to arrive. She even paces at times, but disappears before the clock strikes 1 a.m. A story that is probably ghost lore claims a man asked to be locked into the church overnight so that he could see where the gray lady originated from. When the vicar came to let him out the next morning, he found the man scared witless on the roof talking gibberish to himself. Another version claims the man was dead, as though he'd been scared to death. There's another spirit here, and it's said that it belongs to a Viking. He is seen wearing a shirt of iron mail and a helmet carrying a sword. It is thought the Viking was executed at this church or somewhere in this vicinity, and that is why he's haunting it. St. Mary's Abbey. This is another place that no longer exists, but there are still some ruins left behind by the former Benedictine Abbey. These ruins include a gatehouse and part of the church abbey. The site is now home to the York Museum Gardens, and it's a big-time tourist attraction in York. The first building on this land was built in 1055 A.D., and through the years, the abbey grew to become the richest in northern England. Abbeys were major landowners, and St. Mary's was the biggest. They eventually built the Abbot House, now known as King's Manor, on the property, which still exists today, and this would play host to kings and queens. 
This abbey was dedicated to St. Olaf of Norway and rededicated in 1088 AD to the Virgin Mary and thus the name St. Mary's. A fun fact is that the abbot from St. Mary's is the nemesis of Robin Hood in those stories. The power and reign of St. Mary's would end when Henry VIII shut down the Catholic Church and he had the place closed and demolished. There were 30 abbots in all through the years at St. Mary's, and this position gave them a seat on Parliament. It's one of the reasons why King Henry didn't want these abbots around anymore, too much political power. One of these abbots is known today as the Black Abbot, and he makes appearances among the ruins as a phantom wearing a black robe. Pretty creepy. Of course, keep in mind that a lot of the priests and monks of that time would have been wearing robes. So, is it just this Black Abbot, or is it someone else? And I believe I was listening to the most recent episode of Knock Once for Yes, and they were talking to an author on there, and she had wondered, when you see these spirits that look like they're these shadowy figures in a robe, if it's not actually something wearing a robe, like a priest or a monk or something like that, but rather this is the only way that a spirit can manifest, and it just looks like it's wearing a robe because it can't define itself more, who knows? St. Mary's Church. This is not to be confused with the aforementioned St. Mary's Abbey. This is a church. It's very different, and it's found along Castlegate. This church dates to around 1020 with the original Saxon stonework still as part of the body of the church today. Most of the updates were done during medieval times, and the steeple is the tallest you will find in York. The church was deconsecrated in 1958, and between 1975 and 2001 was a heritage center. This opened as a contemporary art venue in 2004, and it's really beautiful inside. It's got the medieval stained glass. It's a wonderful location to put an art center into or to display a lot of artwork. I think their most recent one is featuring a bunch of the works of Van Gogh. So it'd be really cool to see them inside of this church. One thing that has remained the same is the churchyard, and it plays host to a killer whose specter hangs around the graveyard. This killer was Walter Calverley, He had a good background being born into a wealthy family of farmers in the 16th century. He did well for himself by marrying an heiress in 1599, but Walter had an issue with money. He ran up huge debts and it got so bad that he ended up in court and then jail a few times. His mother wrote him out of her will and made sure the inheritance would go to her three grandchildren with Walter's wife as the trustee. Clearly, she didn't trust him with the money and this seemed to set Walter off. He came home from a long walk and found his oldest son playing in the hall. He stabbed the boy to death and then went to his wife's bedroom and stabbed her. He then found his middle son and slit his throat. A maid stumbled upon the scene and Walter attacked her. Her screams brought some male servants to her aid and Walter jumped on a horse and rode off. One of the servants guessed that Walter was heading to the home of the wet nurse where his youngest child was and he hopped on a horse in pursuit, hoping to save the baby. This sounds like an amazing movie as the nurse sees Walter coming with a knife and bars the door. The servant arrives and fights with Walter as he calls for villagers to help him, and they all succeed in overpowering Walter. Walter was sentenced to die, and he was executed. His wife actually survived the attack and went on to marry again and have more children. Parish records for the church indicate that Walter was buried here in the churchyard but it is thought that the bones were moved to a tomb at Calverley. That's where his family was all buried, so eventually they moved his bones to the family tomb. 
And that's why his spirit is thought to be at unrest. It's looking for his body. It's like the spirit was wandering around at the same time that they were taking his bones, I guess, and was like, wait a minute, where'd my body go? I don't know how that works, but perhaps that's why he seems to be a little upset. I would probably lean more to the fact that he killed two of his children and almost killed his wife. Maybe he's feeling a little bit of regret in the afterlife. The full-bodied apparition has been seen wandering through the churchyard, searching for something in vain. And I saved the finest, most beautiful, gorgeous church that you will find in York for last, and this is York Minster, probably the most well-known church that's here in York. York Minster was not the first church here. There have been many through the decades. The first was probably built in 627 AD out of wood and eventually replaced with a stone structure. This fell into disrepair and was restored in 670. Fire destroyed it in 741, and it was rebuilt as a bigger stone structure. This was attacked and destroyed through the years until the one that you see today that survives. This was begun in 1220 AD. York Minster is Northern Europe's oldest Gothic cathedral and borders one side of the city while Clifford's Tower borders the other. This is another really haunted location in York. I believe a bunch of Jewish people had gone here seeking refuge or something, and they ended up committing mass suicide or something. I'm not sure on the whole story there, but I know that's a really haunted location. We'll probably get into it in the future when we do some of these other haunted places in York. I cannot begin to put into words the beauty of this building. It was made from handcrafted masonry stones, medieval stained glass, and features architectural wonders. One of these is the old mason's loft and roof of the chapter house. A revolutionary engineering technique was used by 13th century masons to create the wooden carpentry here with timber that today is over a thousand years old. Stone cut designs and statuary are everywhere on this building, which is made from magnesium limestone that was quarried from Tadcaster, and it has this creamy white hue to it. The statuary is some of the finest Gothic sculpture in the country and features angels, animals, grotesques, and human heads with no two of them being alike. Purbeck marble was added to the piers of the chapter house. The Gothic design is based on a cruciform plan featuring an octagonal chapter house attached to the north transept and three towers with one set centrally and the other two at the west front. The minster is dedicated to St. Peter and is the seat of the Archbishop of York. The stained glass windows feature a rose window on the south transept, a heart-shaped design on the west window, and the Five Sisters window with each lancet measuring over 53 feet and 5 feet wide. Patterned marble was added to the floors in the 1700s. Fires have continued to ravage the building with the most recent in 1984. A broad renovation project was started in 2007 and was completed in 2018. So now would be a great time to visit because you'd see it all freshly done. This is one of the more haunted sites and always manages to make it on a top 10 haunted York sites list. The carved stone I mentioned is part of one of our ghost stories. Stonemasons have to make repairs often to the stone because of the elements, and they were doing this in 1964. A female tourist in York stopped to watch them for a bit and was approached by a man who asked if she liked the stonework. The man looked straggly, but the woman was polite and told him that she did. He grinned and said that he made it, and then he disappeared. She was startled, but then assumed that the man was supervising the repairs to the work he had done some 600 years earlier. One of the other spirits here is thought to belong to a parishioner who is named Dean Gale, and he is seen sitting and listening to sermons before he disappears into thin air. 
Gale had been the head of the Minster chapter in the late 17th century. He was highly respected and never missed a service, always sitting in the same seat. He died in 1702 and was buried in a tomb in the Minster. Apparently his spirit has decided to stay and still sits in that same seat all the time. Disembodied barks are heard coming from inside the Minster at night, and people believe this is because there's a rumor that a dog was walled up inside the church. Not sure why, hope that's not true. A really well-known ghost story dates to the 1820s and features a man in a naval uniform walking up to two women inside the church and whispering in one of their ears before disappearing. One of those women claimed it was her brother crossing the veil to let her know that there was, indeed, an afterlife. He apparently had died at sea. So this is what you would call a crisis apparition. And she later explained that she and her brother had made this deal with each other, that whoever died first would come back and let the other one know what it was like to be dead in the afterlife or if life continues to go on after you die. Another telling of the story has a young woman being shown around the Minster by a local York man and that he sees the man in the naval uniform first and watches as he walks up to the girl who has a stunned look on her face. And then she, of course, explained to him that this was her brother. She had no idea that he was dead, that he had been out at sea, and that he was just coming back to let her know that there was an afterlife. And apparently they did find out a couple days later that he had died in an accident out on a ship. There are two things that I really love in Britain, and those are its castles and its churches. They feed my love of architecture, and the fact that they have witnessed so much history makes them even better. It's not surprising that these older churches would host ghosts. Many of these spirits seem to be looking for something. That seems like a hard thing to be locked into for the afterlife, a constant searching. Are these churches haunted? That is for you to decide. And I wanted to let you guys know that several of those stories I got from the book Haunted York, which was written by Rupert Matthews in 2009. And if I ever make it to Britain, I certainly plan on checking out its churches. want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send me some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Make sure you keep an eye on all of the social media and especially up on the website on the events pages. I'm going to start putting up the events that we'll be doing in 2020. We have several investigations and a couple of live shows, and I would love to have you guys join me for those. Definitely mark your calendars April 25th and 26th. Come to Louisville, Kentucky. Not only will you get to see me in a live show there, but we're going to do an investigation at Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Would love to have you join me for that. I wanted to thank Jody for her email. She used to live in St. Augustine and said that she'd had a few experiences there. And I said, hey, would you be willing to share one of those with me? And she said, I have so many personal experiences from living there. They range from kind of funny to downright scary. My favorite haunting there is the cat that haunts the upstairs of Mian's restaurant. It finds me every time I'm there and says hello with some head bonks on my leg. When I look down, I see that there's nothing there. Very cool story. I always love to hear about animal spirits. And if I'm ever eating at Meehan's, I'm going to see if possibly I can find a little ghost kitty there. I want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. Want to welcome into the cemetery Mandy O'Rourke and Summer. Both of you ladies are going to be buried in chest tombs. Thank you so much for your support. 
And don't forget, if you support the show, make sure I have your current mailing address. Either check it at Patreon or send it to me if you give via PayPal. That way I can get you correctly on the Christmas mailing list. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow.